0: John 15, verses 12 through 17 says, This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit, that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. Thanks, Christian. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys today. I love our uh, five church gatherings to be together and um, to see... Um, this massive church family that, that we're a part of here in the area, but there's nothing quite like coming home and seeing you guys. This is, this is our family. I love it. I absolutely love it. If you would turn with me to First John chapter 3, we're going to dig into uh, where we left off last time. We were here studying through this amazing letter, and we'll be picking up in verse 11 this morning. Uh, it probably is t- entitled in your Bible, as it is in mine, something similar to love and action which is a very important topic, and that's why John's going to um, use his very unique approach in this letter to address it with the church. In 1992, all the way back to 1992, a poet wrote this. Words come easy but don't mean much when the words they're saying we can't put trust in. We're talking about love in a different light, and if we all learn to love, it would be just right. Hey, tell me, haven't you heard? Love is a serious word. I think it's time you learned. I don't care what they say. I don't care what you heard. The word love, love is a verb. Okay, how many of you know? Put your hand up if you know what I'm doing. No, nobody? Okay, you know, what is it, Bob? DC Talk, yeah! It's so funny. Uh, as I was prepping this, I was like, you know, you're supposed to you're supposed to speak to your church. You're supposed to talk to your church body. And I was like, how is it that my church body probably has no idea what DC Talk said back in 1992? What a world! By the way, I, I have no problem, as you well as you well know, with dating myself by by saying quotes from the, from the early '90s when I was really starting to get into music. But isn't that the truth? Did you catch what he was saying? Did you catch what he wrote? Love is a verb. A verb is a word used to describe an action, a state, or an occurrence that happens. And love, true love, produces action. Love really is a verb. And if you think about it in the same light, so is hate. Hate is a verb as well. It produces an action. Think about this. John chapter 3, verse 16. We all know it. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son a fascinating translation when you look at other biblical translations say for god so loved the world and it's almost like he just loved the world so much the text in the greek literally means this is how god showed his love so god loved the world in this way he gave his one and only son it doesn't say god loved so much that he sat back and took a nap right God's love was proven by his action. Our love or hate of one another is going to be revealed in the thoughts, words, and actions that it produces. That's how our love is going to be revealed. It's how we live. And by live, I'm not just talking action. It's the combination of all those things. It's what we're thinking in our minds. It's the words that are coming out of our mouths, it's the actions of our lives, love is is being revealed in these ways, and our love or hate of one another is going to be revealed in those things. Now John often has used in this letter contrasts or comparisons. He likes to give us a good contrast as to what the opposite or antithesis, if you will, of a subject is or a situation So the best way to reveal something that he's talking about that's perfect and righteous in Christ, he'll show us what the opposite of it looks like in some way, shape, or form. Look at the examples. I'm going to put them on the screen for you of how contrasts and comparisons have been used thus far in 1 John. These are all the ones we've seen just up till this point. Fascinating, isn't it? He's contrasted walk in darkness with walking in light in chapter 1, verse 6 through 7. Say we have no sin versus confession of sin. Chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. Keep God's commands or don't keep God's commands. That would be 2, 3 through 5. Those who love the world versus those who love the Father, 2.15. They versus us, 2.19. Antichrist versus Christ, 2.22. Deny Christ, confess Christ, 2.23. Confident at Christ's coming. Ashamed at Christ's coming, 2.28. Those who commit sin, and those who do what is right, chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, and most recently, children of the devil and children of God. We talked about it last time we were in First John. Now, that was a few weeks ago now because that was before Palm Sunday. But do you see how he's showing you what something should be and is right to be and what it should never be and what that looks like and leads to? He's not leaving us hanging in the balance at all. He's painting a very clear picture. And this morning, he's going to use another contrast comparison for love and hate. But a lot of times, I think we give ourselves... Okay, I should be careful. A lot of times, I give myself a pass and assume that I'm being loving towards people all the time. Well, you know, I, I treat them this way. I just try to treat everyone this way. Do I actually connect that my thoughts, my words... And my actions have to be congruent in order for me to be a loving human being. All three of those things have to flow together. It's not just what I'm doing. It's also what I'm thinking. It's also connected to what I'm saying. I can't say something and say the loving thing but not take the loving action. And so the contrast comparison for love and hate is what we're going to focus on. The way we reflect the love of our creator God is to give as he gave. That's how we reflect the loving heart of God. The way we reflect the hatred of sin is to reject the love of God and embrace the heart and actions, as John John will show us here, of Cain. He's going to take us back to Cain, of all people. We'll see why in a minute. Let's dig in. 1 John 3, verses 11 through 18. This is our section for this morning. For this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. By the way, should we maybe all circle that in our Bibles? You're like, that's not very encouraging. It's reality. Don't be surprised. Why are we always so shocked? Sorry, I'm interrupting scripture. Verse 14. We know that we've passed from death to life. Because we love our brothers and sisters, the one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. This is the word of the Lord. A continual reminder that exists throughout Scripture. Um, from the passages in the Old Testament, such as Leviticus 19.18, uh, to the words of Jesus in Mark 12.31, writings of Paul, Romans 13.9, Galatians 5.14, to the letter of James, chapter 2, verse 8, and here in First John 3.11. They all have this in common. We are commanded to love one another. Church, we are commanded to love each other. It's not up for debate. It's not something that we're going to make an attempt at. It's a requirement. We're called to do it. Jesus commanded his disciples, and that extends to us in John 15, 12. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. It's a command that's given. And do you realize that oftentimes we will look at that verse and be like, I can't do that. That's no excuse. You and your flesh cannot do that. But God, through the Holy Spirit that resides within you, can do that. Amen? He absolutely can do this in us, but we limit this by looking at our flesh and saying, what's in my flesh isn't able to, therefore I cannot. We recognize our own weakness, but we stop short there rather than tapping into the unlimited strength and power of the Holy Spirit that's within all believers to love one another as Christ first loved us. It's not up for me to come up with some way to love people that makes sense to me. It's not for me to try and figure that out. I look at the way Jesus loved us, and that is the kind of love I'm to have for other people. It's a command from the beginning of time. God created us for relationship with him and he is love. He created us for relationship from the moment of our second birth in Christ. We've been called to love one another empowered by him because man failed. That's what he's going back to as, as John in a second will get to this point. We'll, we'll recall from Genesis 4. And he's going to say this is what happened to, to lead to the first murder. This hatred within leads to the first murder of any human being. And he's calling our our attention to this because that's going to become the antithesis of loving the way that Jesus loves us. From the moment of our second birth in Christ, we've been called to love each other, empowered by him. Our love is proven by our thoughts, words, and actions. It's the first fruit of the Spirit that pops out of the branch. Do you guys remember that in Galatians 5? In verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the spirit is, we can do it together. Come on, church. This will wake everyone up. The fruit of the spirit is, now there's going to be other things too, but it begins with love. The fruit of the spirit is love. And all you guys, are. that's fine, but it starts with love. It starts with love. For all of you sitting in your head, you're like, I just want to, you guys, what <laughs> she knows. <laughs> uh, it's a source of mourning every day, isn't it? The deep sigh of the morning. My wife wakes up and goes. <sighs> anyway. You guys, what does the fruit of the Spirit look like in real terms? What does it look like in real terms? First Corinthians thirteen, verses four through seven. If the fruit of the Spirit is love. If we've been filled with the Spirit and we are commanded to love, here's what love looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. How are we doing? Everyone feeling good? No. Why? Because I don't love like that. But Jesus does. And if the fruit of the Spirit is love, then all of these things are not only possible but commanded in our lives. All of these things should be coming out of our lives. Think about this. 1 John 4 8 says what? God is love. God is love. That's what 1 John 4, 8 says. God is love. And if God is love, then those descriptives in 1 Corinthians 13 are describing his character to us in us. That is his character. How is the world going to know that Christ is in you? And how are they going to see Jesus? It's by loving in this way. It's by being patient, kind, not envying, not boasting, not being arrogant, not being rude, not being self seeking, not irritable, not keeping a record of wrongs. Think about it. In that list, we were all toast within the first couple this morning. Why? Because I got irritated this morning. I was seeking after myself this morning, I was rude. For some of us, maybe it's keeping a record of wrongs. You have no idea what I've been through. They have all all this done to me. You have no idea why I'm so bitter and angry. Church, we're called and commanded by Jesus to love one another in the way that he loves us. It's a command. It's an essential. Unlike, here's your contrast, Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother, And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Contrasting what we know of love from Jesus, John uses Cain. He uses Cain as the antithesis. Within the contrast of love and hate, we have a secondary contrast between Cain and Abel. These two men, these two sons of Adam and Eve. The first two boys. Two brothers in Genesis 4 brought sacrifices to God. Abel was offering his sacrifice from a righteous heart. Cain was not. It had nothing to do with the products they were being offered. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament law, Cain's offering was acceptable by the product, not the heart. What he brought would have been acceptable even according to Levitical law. But something was wrong inside of Cain. Something was off inside of him. And God sees the heart, and we know this because in Genesis 4, verses 5 through 7, Cain's warned about the condition of his heart. It's up on the screen, second half of verse 4. In Genesis 4, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. So God talks to him. And the Lord says this, Why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right won't you be accepted there's his heart it's not the sacrifice something's wrong inside of Cain. how do we know go further but if you don't do what is right sin is crouching at the door its desire is for you but you must rule over it church this is powerful when we let hatred reside in our hearts sin is crouching at the door And what that means is that if we continue to let it fester and remain there, we are going to take an action that will be unloving and we'll say murderous in intent. It's going to seek to destroy somebody else or harm them if we let that hatred remain there. What does perfect love do according to scripture? It casts out fear. It casts out fear. How many of us hate and are in this place of instability because we're afraid? Because we've let fear center into our hearts and we start to hate anything around us because we don't trust anything. We're afraid of everything. Therefore, I hate everything. Therefore, one thing leads to another. Cain hated his brother for nothing more than being right with God. Cain's motivation for hating Abel was that Abel was accepted by God. That he was right before God. Sounds a lot like envy. Jealousy, a lot of the things that we're we're told in 1 Corinthians 13 shouldn't exist in our hearts. Church, the reason I'm making such a strong point about this is because if we are letting these things live in our hearts, there's always a root to the problem. We may see that the way we're acting or what we're doing isn't honoring God and be like, well, I just need to fix that problem. What you need to do is get the root out of the ground that's the problem. This is under the surface. What's going on inside of Cain is the problem. And what's going on inside of Abel is the source of what's right. What's going on inside the heart of Abel and his love and his connection with God is producing a sacrifice that's acceptable to God. Charles Spurgeon said this about Cain. He said, there's no hate like that the hate of a bad man toward a good one, not for doing him any wrong, but simply for rebuking him by the silent eloquence of his holy life. Men who love sin cannot endure the sight of virtue. You guys think about this. We ought to be living in a way of silent eloquence of holiness, living out our lives before the Lord in this peace and this rest in him and that doesn't mean it's going to fix all your problems it might create some fresh ones and that's okay that's okay the issue comes when we start to shape who we are so that we're more acceptable so that we're more acceptable by people so that we can be at peace in a world or i'll say it this way be at peace with the world We're not here to be at peace with the world. We're here to be at peace within the world. Do you understand the difference? That doesn't mean we go out there and we start throwing rocks at cars. Or headbutting signs. What it means is that when the attack comes, we are centered in Christ. And we have a loving response. We have a loving response for those who hate us. What I fear is the hatred of Cain's heart. I fear that because I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want any of that taking root deep inside of me. The hatred of Cain's heart, sin crouching at the door that he allowed to consume him rather than reigning over it. That's the picture that God presents to him. Reign over this or it's waiting to consume you. That's the idea. It's crouching at your door. It doesn't want to play. Sin does not want to play with you, church. It doesn't want to have a tiny effect. It wants to consume you. And are we letting it? Are we allowing it or are we reigning over it by the power of the Holy Spirit? Don't let sin crouch at the door. Reign over it. You have been given the power in Christ Jesus. Amen? You've been given the power to reign over it. Outside of him, you got no hope. Sin owns you. It absolutely owns you. If you're unbelieving, you're watching online, or you're in the room listening right now, and you are not a believer, sin owns you. And if you want to be free of it, Jesus is the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. Receive Jesus as your personal Savior. Be born again. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you will have the strength to stand against it. That's the truth. You come up front this morning. I'll pray with you. You can receive Jesus. In fact, you can do it right there in your chair. Just come tell me about it, because I want to celebrate. You guys, for those who walk in the Spirit, allowing Him to shine His righteousness through our lives. Verse 13 says, Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Don't be surprised. This shouldn't shock us. We know that we pass from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. He says, This is the validation. You've passed from death to life because you love. The love is the evidence. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This hatred has existed since the first human being was born into a world tainted by sin. This is nothing new. It's ancient. And something so ancient ought to not cause wonder in us. It's something that we are well aware of. When I walk righteously with God, when I long to be his, when I want to live a life that glorifies him, I will be attacked, expect it. And yet we're so shocked. (gasps) why don't they like me? We turn into Costanza. I must be liked. Everyone must like me. I felt that way for a few years in in pastoral ministry. And I realized that people were liking me less. They really didn't like me very much. I remember going to my former pastor's office, I said, boy, they'll blame me for everything. And he's like, yeah, I was like, I had a parent blame me for their kid's sin. When their kid just came and told me about it last week, I was like, I didn't have time to instigate it. Like, it was already there. It's amazing what you'll get blamed for. You guys, these things are going to happen. Attack is going to happen. We're going to be targets. All who desire to live righteously in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution promises we don't like. I wanted to put together a little booklet that's called Promises Christians Don't Like. Just have it like, it it, it would be too demotivational. That's why I never ended up doing it. But it would be really fun to just flip to like, page four. People will hate you. Super. Ready to go. You know, we need things that encourage us. But these are realities that we skip over, you know. You don't hear some pastor trying to rally you up and get you excited about hatred, right? People aren't going to like you. Yeah. Although we were once dead in trespasses and sin, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love. We know those who have not because they hate. Church, we can't be identified by that. We can't be identified by that because it's a false picture of Christ. It's a false reality. Love is the evidence of our conversion. And over again, John has called us to remain in Christ, just as the Spirit remains in us. However, those who reject the free gift of salvation in Jesus, they remain in death, he says. He uses the word remain again. He says, those who are not saved, they remain in death. He says, you remain in Christ. Clear lines. There's no middle ground here. You either belong to him or you don't. There's no processing. Hatred dwells in that heart. That rejects God, that rejects Jesus. They remain in death, and there that hatred festers, and it breeds murder. It breeds murder. You're like, well, not everyone who doesn't know God is out there killing people. Think about what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. What did Jesus teach us regarding this in the Sermon on the Mount? He talks about the root of the problem. I mean, some people will murder physically like Cain did. But think about what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five twenty-one through 22. You have heard it that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. Whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. Should we be a little more careful about how we're talking? I think we should. I don't think that Jesus gave us in the Sermon on the Mount a list of good ideas. I think he was calling us to biblical, spiritual reality. To uh, the way we ought to live our lives. Hatred within is murder in the heart. Jesus calls us to a higher standard. He calls us to be born again and to receive him. And he gives to those who believe eternal life. Those who reject him, John says in 1 John 3.15, everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So if the result of hatred in the heart is murdering with my thoughts, words, or actions, what does love produce? What does love produce? If we're going to look at this contrast, if hatred begets murder and that's remaining in death, separated from God, then what does the love of God poured into our hearts and cleansed through us by the power of the spirit? What does that produce? It produces self-sacrifice. It produces self-sacrifice. Rather than taking life, hatred which leads to murder, it gives life please notice this contrast listen church the hatred of rejection of god the hatred in the heart that leads to murder is for those who have rejected christ those who have received christ become self-sacrificing in their love because rather it's the opposite rather than taking a life away from someone they give theirs up for others it's the perfect opposite It's the holy opposite. It's the righteous opposite. We lay down our lives. Verse 16. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. True love is sacrificial. Again, John is just unpacking direct teachings from Jesus. I love that about John. In this letter, he's just unpacking and going deeper into the root system of the teachings of Christ. He's like, Jesus taught us this. Think about this. John 15, 13. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. John was in the upper room with Jesus as he taught this. Jesus spoke this right to him. And he says, listen, this is how we've come to know love. He laid down his life for us. He goes, we watched him do it. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. But we have limits, don't we? We put limits on it. I'll do this. But if they if if they do that, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. Is that Christ's love? What is it? It's not love at all. If God is love, then you're not being loving. You're just being accommodating to a certain point. If you want to be a true believer, if I want to be a true believer, church, we have to love in this way. We lay down our lives for each other. We are ready to die for one another. I think as believers we agree in principle that there's no greater love than this to lay down one's life for their friends. But in the reality of the situation, I think we kind of have a meatloaf kind of love. I'll explain. Do you, know what I'm, do you know what I'm talking about? If you do, like, we talk about loving one another, and that we ought to lay our lives down for each other, yet we're not willing to do the practical things that are present within a selfless, holy, spirit-empowered, restored life. I'm so caught up in what's going on inside of me that I can only extend so far. We talk about loving each other in this selfless kind of way, but we actually have a selfish kind of way of loving. We love in a way that makes us feel good about ourselves, that is not congruent with God, and therefore, we have a meatloaf kind of love. I didn't misspeak that. And here's what I mean. I would give anything for love. What's the rest? But I won't do that. Right? It's the truth. Half of you guys again, like DC talk, meatloaf? What is going on at Transform? It's the truth. That's how we feel. I do anything for love. Love me when I fail, but I won't do that. No, no. You didn't think I had it in me, did you? You guys, think about this. There's a reality to that. You're like, "Well, that's technically not the reason." I'm not talking about his intention. I'm talking about what Meatloaf said. And if your Meatloaf's not talking to you, I don't know what's up. You guys think about this. We are so willing to say that we'll love one we'll love one another. We'll do whatever it takes to love the body of Christ. But I get stuck on some issue. I get stuck on some problem, and I become the most unloving human being on this planet towards everyone around me. I can't get out of my own head. I can't get out of my own life. I just start treating everyone like trash because I'm in a place of crisis. And it turns into, instead of me saying, I would give anything for love, now I'll give whatever I have time for, and you can just deal with it. Because I'm so selfish, I'm the opposite of selfless. We get so caught up. In our problems and in our issues, that we stop caring for other people. Is that our problem? We are so self consumed, we have no time to be selfless. We are so filled, and here's the thing I'm drawing us all the way down to the root. We are being filled with hatred. We're being filled with hatred at that point. Maybe it's hate of ourselves. Maybe it's hate for people around us. Maybe it's hate for a system or a process or the world. Whatever it is, we need God's love to come in and cleanse that out of us. Amen? We need that to happen because there should never be, but I won't do that. We should be willing to do whatever it is to reflect the love of God all the way to death. We will never compromise with sin. Love will never direct us into a sinful path. But love will give us the motivation and the power through the work of God in our lives to lay our lives down. To sacrifice ourselves. And that's the place that God's calling us to. He's calling us to a deeper walk. Are you ready to lay your life down? It was the first part of following him. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, deny yourself. You don't understand what I've been through. You have no idea. We serve a savior, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us, who has suffered and was tempted in every single way as we were yet without sin. Don't tell Jesus he doesn't get you. Don't tell Jesus he doesn't understand what you're going through. He gets it. He loves you. In fact, he says because he gets you and understands you at the end of Hebrews 4, you can come to the throne room boldly, boldly to receive mercy and grace in your time of need because he not only understands you, he wants to help you. He's standing ready to minister in the midst of your brokenness. He wants to heal what's broken and wrong inside of you. Stop making excuses for it. Come to the throne room of grace. He will heal you there. You don't have to have all the answers. He does. So many of us are like, I have to have all the answers for these things that are going on in my life. Otherwise, I just won't be able to survive. You need to go to the Lord and trust yourself to him and let his love flow through you to all the people around you because the people around you, church, listen, they need you. The people around you need you. They've been put in your life for a reason. And they need to see the Christ's love coming out of you into their lives. Maybe some of us will be granted the opportunity to physically lay our lives down for one another. But I love that John doesn't leave it at this open-ended. So if you have the opportunity, if you see someone in traffic... Be sure to shove them out of the way. And if you don't, don't care about them the rest of their lives. Just, you know, make sure you do that one big thing if you get the opportunity. Your life is all about just nailing that one big thing. You know, if you just, if you just get there at that moment where you can lay your life down for somebody, great. If not, I guess it wasn't in the cards. <laughs> do whatever you want. Is that what he's saying? No, he says you should be loving people in the thousand little moments that happen day in and day out. Preparing yourself to die. We ought to be living in a way that prepares us to die. Church, think about this. If anyone, he says in verse 17, has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? He says, let's get really practical then. If we are saying that we ought to lay our lives down for one another, how can we take it if the church, if someone in the church has no food? How can we stand by if someone in the church needs something and we're not willing to provide it? He says, This world's goods. How can we say that God's love resides in him if we withhold? Little children, he says, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Don't talk about it, do it. Let us not be like so many politicians in the church, who talk about all these great things and then don't do them. does not that what drives us crazy? That's what drives us crazy. Promises, promises. Jesus says, don't be that way. Live what you say. Be who you say you are. C.H. Dodd wrote this, reflecting on this passage of Scripture. He said, there were occasions in the life of the early church, as there are certainly tragic occasions at the present day, For a quite literal obedience to this precept, that is to lay down our life for the brothers. But not all life is tragic. And yet the same principle of conduct must apply all through. Thus it may call for the simple expenditure of money we might have spent upon ourselves to relieve the need of someone poorer. It is after all the same principle in action, though at a lower level of intensity. It is the willingness to surrender that which has value in our own life to enrich the life of another. Let me say that again. This is what love is. It's the willingness to surrender that which has value for our own lives to enrich the lives of others. If such a minimum response to the law of charity called for by such an everyday situation is absent, then it is idle to pretend we are within the family of God, the realm in which love is operative as the principle and the token of eternal life preach CH William Barclay says this as well fine words will never take the place of fine deeds stop talking about it that's the message that the Lord spoke to me this week stop talking live and I think we need to hear that regularly this isn't a new message it's not that our words aren't to be used our words are meant to be used But sometimes that's all we are. James 2 verses 14 through 19. We're bringing it home here. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. And here's how he brings that message really hard home in verse 19. You believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. It's a powerful statement when you think about it. What is he talking about? Demons have correct theology doesn't matter if your theology is good, if your actions don't back it up. True belief leads to actions. Don't be someone who's theologically true in your brain, but not theologically true in your actions. That is incongruency. It's not reality. We have to recognize there is a massive difference between being people who do what God says, as James would say in chapter 1, verse 22, but be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We must do What it says, not just know what it says. Amen? It's interesting that Paul would go on to say in Scripture as well that, and this just comes to mind, that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Do you ever think about it in context of this passage? Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. It's in that idea of being theologically true, filling your mind with knowledge, but love edifies because love is God's action. Doing what he has said, living out what he has said, that is the action. And it's exactly what John says, let us not love in word or speech. We understand theologically, we have knowledge, but he says, but in action and in truth. And by the way, what are you going to be lacking if you're not taking action? You're going to be lacking truth. Truth requires action. And truth and love go together. This call to loving action... By which our regeneration is revealed begins right here amongst the church. And that's what John in 1 John 3 is calling us to. To be loving and caring in practical ways for each other here. This should be happening amongst us. And I think that that extends out to the world as well. But we have to be loving our own people well. Think about what a messed up picture it is. If I'm out serving people soup and sandwiches and taking care of people in the community, but my kids are starving at home. That'd be pretty messed up. You're like, you're supposed to take care of your home first. Ah, good. I'm glad we all get this together. We take care of the church so that we can take care of others authentically. We are not going to be authentically serving others outside these walls if we are not caring for one another inside of them. This is family. This is how Jesus loves us. His words and his actions, they agreed. He told us he loves us. And then he said this much and he went to the cross. If you think that your love or if I think that my love is equivalent to that, I'm crazy. I'm crazy. I need to be empowered by the Spirit to love like that. I need to be ready to lay my life down. Love doesn't make excuses for sin. Love calls sin into the light. It convicts. It speaks truth. It reflects the heart of Jesus for a lost world. What are ways that we can love in action and in truth amongst each other? What are ways that we can care for each other? These are things I want to explore. What are ways that we can care for the body and invest in the body and strengthen one another so that it's not only happening here, but it's authentically happening in our families as well? By the way, you're not going to love people well here if you don't love them at home. If you don't love your family at home, you're not going to love people well here. It's incongruent. Church, we need to be consistently challenged by this because we live in a sinful world that is attempting to rewrite what love actually is on a regular basis. Trying to rewrite what true love is. And trying to adjust our minds to think the way that they do. And Jesus says, if you want to know what true love is, it's self-sacrifice. It's laying your life down for others. What are ways that we can take this to our brothers and sisters and then into the neighborhoods, the jails, the schools, even the Walmart? I'll laugh at myself. You guys, all the places that you struggle to love people is where God's calling you to love them. All the places that you think of, but I won't do that. God's saying that's the place we need to go then. That's the place we need to go. We need to go to that part of the heart and see what part of the heart is being affected by hatred. Hatred of self, hatred of others, hatred of situations. What part of my heart's being affected by hatred so that I'm not loving people, so that I'm saying I'd do anything for love, but I won't do that. We just need to say we would do anything for love, and not just for love's sake. We would do anything in a loving act as a expression of the heart of Jesus. How powerful is that? Father, we ask that as we pray in this time, that things that you have spoken to our hearts would click into place. Lord, that we would see, and and I do believe that here in this body, there are many who are loving their families well, that are loving the church well. Lord, that you would affirm those things. You would encourage those things in us. And Lord, that it, in, in the ways of our lives, in the areas of our lives, we are being unloving, we would recognize, we would be bold enough to face those things and recognize that that is sin crouching at the door. That it doesn't want to just have a fun little game in the front yard with us, that that sin that crouches at the door has every intention of consuming us, destroying us. And Jesus, you went to the cross. And you died there and you rose again on the third day to defeat sin and death. You won that battle already. And we don't have to succumb to those temptations anymore. So Lord, would you strengthen people this morning? Would you strengthen your church to face the things within Lord, may we be a people that loves from deep within our hearts because of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And may we be people who pour out that love and affection and action and truth on our church family and on every block of this city. On every square inch of our neighborhoods. Jesus, give us the ability to receive this in a way that is deeper than we've ever received it before. Go farther down inside, Lord, that root of the issue. Root out the problem. What is it inside of me that's holding back? What part of me deep down is selfish and not selfless? Lord, I ask for myself. Convict me. Lord, so that I can be like you. So that you can restore me pray for our church, Lord, that we will be honest about our sin because you welcome us to yourself so that you can heal us so that your mercy and your grace can flow. Heal your church, Lord, so that we can be healing in the lives of each other. We pray in Jesus' name.